Well, hello, church. Hola, Iglesia. It is great to be with you today. If you're a guest with us, maybe it's your first time here. Boy, we are so glad you're here. You're here on a good day. Uh, we are in the middle of a spiritual experiment of sorts. We are, uh, we're going to God with this one really simple question and asking God to use it to challenge us and change us and redirect us. And if you're jumping in, boy, it's not too late because the question is so simple. The spiritual experiment is so simple. You'll be able to catch up here. It's just this. We're just asking God this question. If you had one month to live and you knew it, what would you change? Uh, just, just think about that for a second. If somehow you found out that you had one month left, what would you do differently? How would you change your habits and change your practices and change your mindset and change your relationships? And we've just discovered that, listen, if we're honest, if we knew the clock was ticking, a lot of us would change stuff, right? We would live differently if we knew we were running out of time. We'd live with more urgency and more passion. We'd live with more dependency on God and less trust in ourselves. We would live with more love and fewer arguments if we knew we were running out of time. And life every once in a while gives us those moments, doesn't it? Moments when you can tell the clock is ticking. Moments when you can tell that you're running out of time. Because we are, of course, running out of time. I mean, that's just that's the reality of it, you know. But those moments come. Maybe it's the last month of college or the last month of high school, and you can tell that you're running out of time. Or maybe it's your last year in a job you love. You're getting ready to move, and you, you only got a little bit of time in this job, or it's the last day of a vacation, right? You try and cram everything in that you haven't gotten to yet because you're, you're running out of time. It's interesting, though, those moments where we're, you know, see the clock ticking, where the due date is coming, where we've got, got a limited amount of time left, those aren't just ending moments, are they? They're also moments of preparation, you know? You know, we got a bunch of students getting ready to graduate from high schools and colleges. Some did last week, some this week, some next week, you know. What do we call that ceremony? We call it a commencement ceremony. Because they're not just finishing something, they're beginning something. And I want you to think about that with me just a little bit. Think with me about seasons of preparation. What is your life like? when you're preparing for something. When you live your life organized around what is yet to come rather than what is or what was. We've all had these moments, right, where everything in your life is organized around something that is just about to happen. Seasons of preparation can be seasons busy with work, right? Maybe you're preparing for a big party and you got to clean every inch of the whole house, even as though it's only three people and they're only going to be in one room. But still, the whole house 
has got to be spotless, right? That's a season of preparation. Or, or you know, we talk about, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a mom getting ready to have her first kid, and there's that nesting phase, right, where they're getting the nursery perfect, and they're putting the crib together, and they're eight months pregnant, standing on a ladder, painting the nursery walls, because that nursery has to be the exact right color, or that baby will be troubled for life, you know? You, you know this, right? These are the, these seasons of preparation where we, we, we spring into action, uh, seasons of preparation can be times of change for us, right? We know the new thing is coming, and we got to get a new haircut and a new look. Or maybe you always went by a nickname, but now you want to go by your full name. Or you always went by your full name, and now you want to go by a nickname. So you, you change your name because you got this new thing coming. I took this job. I'd always been a youth minister. I had to go out and buy a bunch of new clothes because that's what a season of preparation does to you. Sometimes a season of preparation is about conforming and preparing for new expectations, new requirements. I was friends with a young man a few years ago who was getting ready to go into the military, and for months in advance, he started. He went ahead and got the haircut so he could get used to it. He started running every day and working out every day and eating right because he wanted to hit basic training in shape and ready to go. This season of preparation was a season of training for him. And almost always... Seasons of preparation are seasons of learning, where you start to acquire the skills and the knowledge that you will need for the new phase that is to come, whether you're preparing for a new kid or preparing for a new job or you're preparing for college. You're studying and learning the things you need to know, you know. In a season of preparation, you live your life on a countdown. Orienting your life, just want you to think about this, you organize your life around what is to come, not what is or what has been. And I think if you had one month to live, you would be in a season of preparation. Oh, sure, you'd have some things to do regarding the past. Maybe some people to call up and apologize to, some relational loose ends to tie up. And there'd plenty you'd want to do in the present. Maybe check a few things off your bucket list, I suppose. But you would mainly be in a time of looking to the future, looking just around the corner, beyond the horizon of your death, and preparing for what it was that is to come. I remember I was in my early 20s. I was working as a youth minister. I was leading a bunch of kids on a mission trip to Pittsburgh. And we were walking around downtown on one of our days off. And there on a busy street corner, there was a guy standing on a cooler with a sign. He'd painted himself in red paint. The paint was dripping down. It looked like a sign from a horror movie, like blood dripping. And the sign said this, are you ready to die? I had a few thoughts go through my head. First of all, I'm not sure that's the best way to share with somebody the love of Jesus Christ, but whatever. He was trying. Okay, I'll give him that. I thought about what he meant by that question. Are you ready to die? And in the terms that he meant that question, I actually knew the answer 
was yes, I was ready to die. I had entrusted my life to Jesus Christ, who was my risen Lord. God was my sufficient Savior. He had a plan for my eternal home, a found, built on the foundation of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, and I had put my faith in him. I was ready to die. And if, if you're not ready to die in those ways, well, that's not today's sermon, but you ought to be ready to die, so come talk to me and let's talk about that. Because you, you ought to know the answer to that question. It's not a bad question. But I got thinking, I got thinking, I might be ready to die in those terms, but I, I haven't been to Alaska. I mean, I always wanted to go to Alaska, you know? You know, you can go to Alaska and you can rent a boat and they'll take you out and you can watch the whales surface and play has anybody ever done that, gone to Alaska to see the whales? Anybody ever done that? Come on, anybody? A couple of you have. Is it as cool as they say? Like they say it, no. Oh, some, oh, some people say yes. Some people aren't so sure. Well, I want to see the whales. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not ready to go to heaven. I just was hoping to see the whales before I did. That's all I'm saying. You know, that's all I'm saying. And then I got thinking more about that question. And I got thinking, if you really knew me, you know, if you knew me, if you kind of were studying my life, which I don't recommend, that'd be super boring. It would also sort of creep me out, okay? So I'm not recommending this. I'm just saying if you did and you looked at my life, I'm not sure I live like a person preparing to die. I mean, I'm ready to die. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not sure I'm preparing for it. Because, see, when you're preparing for something, you organize your life around the future, not the present or the past. we got a lot of great people on our staff, but we do have a few crazy ones. Um, one of them, if you haven't met her, her name is Janet Galante. She's our college minister, leads our groups team. And Janet runs marathons. Again, this is almost disqualifying for ministry. It's so crazy, but that's what she does. She runs marathons. And when she's in a season preparing for a marathon, her whole life is organized around that. Months in advance, she starts eating right. I don't understand that, but that's what she does. She starts running every day. I don't understand that, but that's what she does. Farther one day, and then farther the next, and then farther the next, and then farther next, until about two weeks before the race, then she starts running less and less and less. You got to run farther and farther and farther to get your body into shape, and you got to run less and less and less so that you hit the marathon day strong. This is the whole thing. Her whole life, when she's preparing for a marathon, is organized around the marathon. Not what was, not what is, but what is yet to come. When you are in a mode of preparation, you live today in light of what will be, not in light of what is or what was. My son is a high school senior, so we're going to lots of graduation events and interacting with lots of other high school seniors. I've been struck by how many of them, the theme of the decorations for their party or what they wear or their vehicle is not the school they're about to graduate from, but it's whatever college or career they have planned in the future. 
That's what forms the color scheme of their outfit. That's the swag that they're wearing. Not where they were, but where they're headed. We were at Barberitos the other day, and out in the parking lot, the guy had a, had a truck out there, and on the back of his truck, he had painted, Go Dogs, Class of 2026. He hasn't even finished high school, and already he's practicing cheering for his future alma mater. He, he doesn't even live in Georgia, and already, all of a sudden already he's got a, a Georgia vanity tag on the front of his car because he's getting ready to cheer for the Georgia Bulldogs. Go dogs! Class of 2026. See, that's what a mode of preparation is. A mode of preparation is where you live in light of the future, not the present or the past. And so I wonder, and I think about that sign, are you ready to die? And again, as he meant the question, I know the answer. The answer is yes. I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. I've been baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. I have been risen to life. My future is secure. But I wonder, do I live like that? If you were to watch me, once you got over the boredom, I'm just curious. Would you say I'm a person who's living organizing my life around my future home or my present? Am I living with one eye toward heaven, becoming the person God intends for me to be, or am I becoming the person that just fits in right here? I wonder what you would say if you watched my life. And I wonder what somebody else would say if they watched yours. It can be easy to build a whole life organized around your past. Some past trauma, some past dream, some past hope, some past fear, and your whole life is built in response to your past. It can be even easier to organize your whole life around your present. Your present demands and your present realities and your present circumstance. And everything is built in response to that. But I think if we just had one month to live, you would reorganize your life around your future. You would say, I am on a countdown to a new reality and I want to be not just ready to die, but I want to be ready to live the life after death for which God saved me. I think if you had one month to live, your mindset would sound something like this. Since then, this is from Colossians chapter 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says, if you, if you have, by God's grace, been raised with Christ, you, 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 you're on borrowed time here on this world. The countdown has begun. You are in preparation mode for a future for which God saved you. So go ahead and set your heart there. Anchor your heart in the things that God has for you, not the things of this world, he says. He says, set your mind on things above not on earthly things. What? I mean, just at the basic level, don't be honest with me. Don't be honest with yourself. Just be honest with God. What occupies your mind? What consumes? Do you live like someone who's preparing for what's next? 
or someone who's stuck in what is or still angry about what was. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died. Your connection to this world is passing away, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. He says, you are running out of time, so start getting ready for what comes next. This is the Apostle Paul who writes this in a letter to the Colossian church. He writes very similar to the Roman church. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... He's just been talking for many chapters about what God plans to accomplish in your life and to create for you an eternal home, an eternal life of value and significance in a restored earth that has been perfected by the reign and glory of God. He says, in view of this mercy that God has for you, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Just go ahead and die to yourself. Just get it over with. Start severing the connection to this broken world. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. This word conform, it's like a mold, like you would use uh, to make money, and you put the hot metal in, and the press comes down, and it shapes the metal into the shape of that coin. He says, no longer be pressed into the shape of the world around you, but be transformed. This is the word metamorphosis, like a caterpillar into a butterfly. We've got kind of a butterfly theme going in this series because they only live for one month. Like a caterpillar into a butterfly. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. When you are in a season of preparation, the organizing principle of your life is the countdown to what is to come. Not what is or what was. The, in fact, you begin to live your days in light of what will be. That sort of sounds like the life Jesus is inviting us to, doesn't it? To live our days in light of what will be. Here's the way First John puts it. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. And then here's the reason he gives for why we need to orient our heart's loves toward what is eternal. He says this, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. I remember as a boy hearing the old timers tell me, son, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. So don't get too attached to the things that are temporary, but fix your heart and mind, your desires, your intention on the things that will be and that will be eternally. I love that truck. Go dogs, class of 2026. I love the fact that they are so hungry and ready for what God has next for them, that they are already living in anticipation of the future reality that will be. I want to live my spiritual life like that. 
that guy Paul, who wrote that letter to Colossae and to Rome, he also wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. He's in a pretty desperate situation in this letter. He's been arrested. He's got a trial date coming up. Depending on the outcome of that trial, he might be executed for his supposed crimes. He thinks he's not going to be, but he's, he's not 100% sure. He sort of is living with one month to live, or at least it felt like that. In this letter to the Philippian church, here's what he writes. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so it's somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He says, there is a future desire. I want to know the resurrection. That is the thing that comes after the one month to live. When the clock strikes, when the countdown ends, there is a life after that. And he says, I want that life. And so he lives in preparation for it. Here's what he says, verse 12. Not that I have obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. I love that image there. He says, Jesus grabbed me for a purpose. And if you know the love of God in your life, and you need to know that Jesus has grabbed you for a purpose. And he says, but I have not yet grabbed hold of that for which Jesus grabbed hold of me. He says, I am not there yet. I am still hungry. I still push forward. I am still, still, still striving to grab hold of the thing for which Jesus grabbed hold of me. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. He says, I don't have it yet. I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived yet. But one thing I do, forget what is behind straining for what is ahead. That is a life in preparation, right? Forget what is behind. I, I, just to be just gotta go clear, at this point in Paul's life, he has already written a third of the New Testament. He's already planted about 20 churches, baptized thousands, launched missionary movements throughout the Roman Empire, and yet he still says, I haven't made it yet. I'm not ready yet. My preparation is not finished yet. I forget what is behind. I strain toward what is ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us then who are mature, should take such a view of things. I love that line. I'm a big fan of that verse. He says, everybody who's mature agrees with me. So if you don't agree with me, you must not be mature. I love that. But the point he's making is more, is more interesting even yet. He says, if you're mature, you'll know you've got a long way to go. That's the thing. It says one of the marks of Christian maturity is the humility to recognize that you have not yet arrived. And the very person who thinks that they have arrived spiritually and arrived intellectually and arrived morally, that they've made it, that they're the new role model for humanity, if only everybody was like me, he says that's actually the, the sign that we know you're actually super immature. Uh, the fact that you think you're right proves you're wrong. 
The fact that you think you're moral proves you're a sinner. The fact that you think that you're the example we ought to be following proves the one that you haven't even begun to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Because when you are dialed into your future, not your present or your past, you stay focused on the preparation, on the work that God still needs to do in your life. And I think, I think if I had one month to live, I would be a season, I would be in a season of preparation. That's what I think. I think if I had one month to live, I'd be focused on questions like, God, how do I grow in prayer? Because I want to talk to you for all eternity, so I might as well start getting good at it now. God, help me, help me grow a heart of worship. Because I want to worship you for all eternity. So I, I want to get ready for what's coming next. God, help me, help me just let go of the sin that weighs me down and holds me back. Of the disobedience where I persist in disobedience, God. If you could just help me let go of that. Because I know that does not fit into my future, God. And I want to be getting ready for my future. I don't want to be stuck in my past. You know. The things of this world, Peter says, they're passing away. Why would you build a life around what is so temporary? I think if I had one month to live, I would be in a, a, an intentional season of learning. God, how do I get ready? Not just ready to die, but ready to live in the life after death that you have for me. I think if I had one month to live, I'd be confronted by an intentional season of humility. Oh my goodness, I haven't yet obtained all this. That's what Paul says. I have not yet taken hold of that for which you took hold of me. Lord Christ, teach me to press on and move forward. Lord, make me ready for your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. Because I want to belong to the place that you made for me, God. I think of that big sign. I think of that big sign. And the guy on the cooler. Are you ready to die? And one version of that question is super important. It wasn't today's sermon, but it could have been. It's a great sermon. Um, have you trusted in Christ so that your eternity is secure? And if you don't know what that means, and if you find that too hard to believe, come talk to me after service. I'd love to tell you what I'm talking about, okay? That's a different sermon, not today's. But it's a good one. It's one you need to reckon with. But for those who are trusting in Christ, you're on a countdown. You're in preparation mode. There is a new life coming for you. Why would any of us waste our time fitting in with this temporary life? Fitting in with this temporary world? Why would we organize our life around a past we can't change? Why would we organize around our life or around a present that is so quickly gone? When you could organize your whole life around a future that is secure in God's hands, that is eternally significant. I mean, I say, why would any of us? I mean, you know, I mainly mean, why would I do that? And, and why would you do that, right? I think if I had one month to live, I think 
I'd live each day with an eye toward my future. Like, like the real future, the, the permanent future. Not next month, not next year, not retirement, but with an eye to eternity. And I think I'd organize my days around that. And then whether I had a month or a decade or a century, those would be pretty good days. And then when the countdown ended, I'd be ready for the life. I think that's what I'd do. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, um, maybe we need to reorganize our lives. Maybe it doesn't make sense that we've organized our whole lives in response to our past or organized our whole lives with the busyness of the present. And we need to organize our lives around the confident hope we have for our future. Oh, yes, God, there'll still be the busyness of each day. There'll still be errands to run, meals to cook, and homework to do. But also, God, just every day is an opportunity for us to prepare our hearts, our lives for the future you have for us. Help us, God, to be not conformed to this world, but transformed. Help us, God, to, 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 to anchor our minds on Christ, to anchor our hearts on Christ. Help us, God, every day to be a little less in love with the world and a little more in love with you for everything that is of this world will pass away. But what you are doing in our lives, God, what you are doing in this world, what you are doing in your creation, that is eternal. Anchor our lives there. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.